This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. We can fly. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow White. Okay, campers, rise and shine, and don't forget your booties, because it's cold out there today. It's cold out there every day. What is this, Miami Beach? Uh, I'm hardly. So. And, you know, you can expect hazardous travel later today with that, you know, that, uh, that blizzard thing. Oh, that blizzard thing. Mm. That blizzard thing. Oh, well, here's the report. The National Matthew Capucci is a Waffle House-obsessed meteorologist currently based in the D.C. metro area. I'm fascinated by his knowledge of meteorology and how he uses his knowledge to break it down for rubes like myself to understand the weather. He most recently was on Cape Cod covering the massive snowstorm and blizzards at the end of January 2022. If you don't already follow him on social media, please follow him and go back and look at all the storm coverage of him outside on the cliffs. It was remarkable. I asked Matthew to join me on the show to tell some stories from his life and weather and discuss the rapidly changing climate around all of us. Whether you're in Washington, D.C., Australia, Ireland, Kazakhstan, or Russia, you may think to yourself, this isn't a fly fishing episode, but it is. Weather affects all of us and all aspects of fishing, especially fly fishing. Find me a fly angler that doesn't pay attention to the weather, and I'll eat a cilantro sandwich on the air. Matthew Capucci is a native of Cape Cod. That's where he went to film and record his stories for several news stations around the world in the recent snowstorm. His fascination of weather traces all the way back to when he was two years old. When he was 14, Matthew became the youngest ever presenter at the American Meteorological Society. He earned a BA in Atmospheric Sciences from Harvard University in 2019. While in college, Matthew began freelancing with the Capital Weather Gang, that's the Washington Post. During his senior year, this avid adventurer logged over 120,000 travel miles, going to places like the Great Plains, China, and Chile. In July of 2021, Matthew became a meteorologist for the Fox 5 Morning News Show in Washington, D.C. Additionally, he gives weather updates on WAMU-FM in Washington, D.C. and contributes to MyRadar, a weather radar and forecast app available on iOS, Android, Windows, and Xbox. Crazy weather will have a huge impact on all of us, whether anglers or not, in the not-too-distant future. This is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. Happy Groundhog Day if you're listening to this the day it came out. All right, so we have Matthew Capucci with us. Matthew, where are you now? And who is your celebrity doppelganger for those who may not have seen you on the news here in D.C.? 
Oh, that's a good question. So I'm in Alexandria, Virginia right now. I work in DC and I kind of work all over the place. So some of my jobs are remote. I work for the Washington Post, which is remote. So I can do that anywhere. I work for my radar company in Florida and that is remote, but I can also go storm chasing for them. And then Fox 5, the studio is in Bethesda. So I commute there, hence why I'm kind of based in DC. As for my doppelganger, I don't know, actually. I, I think I have a, a distinctive look, which is a, a good thing and, and could be a bad thing if ever I turn to a life of crime, but I'm not sure. Maybe we have to ask your Twitter followers later in the day. Someone will come up with something. I think so. Probably. Some people say Andy Samberg, and I'm not sure that's a compliment or an insult. Yeah. That could be go either way. Yeah. You originally are from New England, but you don't have an accent. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. That's true. My mother has a pretty strong accent. One side of the family has a very thick Boston accent. You know, pack the con, have yeah, the whole nine yards. My dad's family, not so much. I did everything I could to kind of rehearse my speech and make sure that any semblance of an accent I had, I lost. Because obviously being on TV or, or gearing up for a career in TV, as I always was, I wanted to make sure that folks didn't think I was kind of like an out-of-towner. And I, I blended in well in D.C., but I am still kind of a closet Bostonian. You're like the unofficial mayor of the DMV. I think you should be on. <laughs> you're going to get like a Washingtonian cover sometime. I would love that. I, honestly, I, I think down the road, I'd love to segue into politics. And I, I really love a job as, as honestly, like a, a mayor or a senator or something. But I, I know that once I did that, I'd be kind of throwing my media career away because I can't really go back to work on local news or, or doing, you know, the Washington Post after you've had a career in politics. Right. When exactly did you get into meteorology? Is that something from when you were young? Probably like seven, eight weeks after birth. Uh, honestly, like really, really early on. When I was two, one of my first words was an attempt at saying wind meter because I was just enthralled with the spinning wind meters on people's roofs. We got those anemometers. When I was four or five years old, I was staring out the window at, at thunderstorms all the time. I watched my first tornado documentary. When I was seven, I saved my first communion money to buy a video camera for storm chasing, which entailed me riding around the neighborhood on a metal bicycle during thunderstorms. And it's been like that ever since. I went to weather camp here in DC when I was 14 at Howard University, and I loved it so much that I kept the same Metro card ever since. And I said, I, I have to live here someday. And when I graduated, actually, the Washington Post was really the only offer I got that paid more than, you know, well, the, the TV offers I got, which at the time were about twenty-five to 30000 And so I, I came here, and it, it's paid off bountifully. I, I love it here. Did you take Angela's spot? I did, so... Angela. It was kind of funny when I, so Angela was, of course, the, it's like the assistant editor, Jason was in charge and he still is. But when I was in my senior year, I've been writing for them since my, I think, late sophomore, early junior year, just on a freelance basis. And it was announced that Angela would be heading over to news. And Jason emailed me and said, you should apply to this. And honestly, I had no desire to edit other people's work. And I had no desire to do really the, the post full time, but I applied on a whim. And so did a, a gentleman named Andrew Friedman who was incredibly talented, just a stacked resume, had worked everywhere, had phenomenal journalistic prowess and, and really news judgment. And it wound up that he got the job, but by me applying and interviewing and making the final round, I think we had 76 applicants. I got to the final round where they fly three people out. And I, along with Andrew, one other uh, person went there and they liked me enough that they created a position for me that wasn't there before. That wound up kind of expanding the, the Capital Weather Gang's full-time positions. I worked there for about two years. And, and initially when I went to the post, I, I went there under the premise of hopefully doing video coverage. And because I'd always wanted to do on-camera stuff, I'd always wanted to be on TV, but despite sort of our best efforts with the Capital Weather Gang, there's a lot of kind of red tape in an organization of that size where it's tough to get stuff done, to always work with other departments and to realize a goal that we had. And I, I kind of said to them like, you know, I'll give you two years, if not, if what I need to do doesn't happen, then I'll, I'll kind of move on. And it worked out well because I became sort of popular enough with 
The Post, my Capital Weather Gang, hits on on WAMU local radio that I was able to convince Fox 5, one of my, you know, honestly, dream jobs to hire me, even though DC is a top TV market and I had no real TV experience. And they gave me the job and it's been honestly a dream come true. Bosses there give me so much flexibility. They, they let me geek out to no end and I love it. And I get to stay with the Post. So I, I write Washington Post articles during the commercial breaks at Fox. And I get my storm chasing covered and, and paid to storm chase for my radar in Florida. So it's a blast. Plus, off the record, of course, I'm sure you know, I'm just going to send emails, but I've discovered working remote, people aren't supervising you. So you can multitask and do like three people's work at once. It's the best. And you got a Valentine's date. I, I did. I, I don't know if that's a, I, I don't know if she'll actually show up, but we'll see. So you're doing non-weather events now for Fox 5. Yeah, they've discovered that I'm apparently friendly, which I don't know. I thought it was just the, the nerdy, geeky kid. But they, when there's not like weather work for me, they'll send me out in the field with somebody wherever. And I love that part too, because really, talking about sunshine gets old. I'm not, I'm not like a, a TV host. I'm very much a scientist. And so I love talking about storms, but I get bored. Like if the weather's boring, I'm bored. So it's great they send me out in the field. They, they let me meet people because really I love meeting folks. And Fox 5, not only the staff, I mean, they have an incredible staff and management is great. And they just, they let me go out and meet great people. And I know that sounds cliche, but I love it. I'm a wicked people person. And anytime I get to interact with folks, I'm, I'm happy as a clam. I love it. I heard the Boston accent just come out there. <laughs> a little bit. See, whenever I get excited and, and I'm not paying as much attention to my speech, it sort of manifests. Now, as a, a male weather person is it easier to do your wardrobe because the women always have to deal with colors in the green screen like there's one dress that every weather lady has oh yeah i i saw that so it it's kind of a craze where almost every female meteorologist in the nation has this dress and for good reason there are actually facebook groups for female broadcast mets where they'll kind of compare notes and, and share where they get deals on dresses and the guys we have one too it's probably easier for us because I think the public is just a lot less harsh. Women get so much undue criticism on air. I mean, I see the comments I get, multiply that by like 30 or 40, and that's what it's like every day for a female broadcast meteorologist. But yeah, we, we just can't wear green. And otherwise, as long as we're dressed professionally, they they let us do our thing. But I love it because I, like, I have one or two suits and I have one suit that's my favorite, so I always wear that. If I change the shirt and I change the tie, no one cares, no one notices. Not at all. And there was an yeah. Australian news guy that wore the same suit every day for a year and nobody said anything. Yeah, I, I could probably get away with that. I mean, I've worn the same suit every day. I've been on air since July. I mean, I, I could get a dry clean, obviously. Yeah, I have a gray suit and a blue suit. And the gray suit was from when I was fatter and the blue suit is from now. And so I figure I can either get the gray suit adjusted, but I like blue better. <laughs> Plus, when we get the green screen back up and running, it's more crisp. It, it looks better. How does a skinny guy stay warm when you're out on assignment other than some of the free weather clothing you get? I, that's a good question. I used to have a, a layer of protective blubber. It, it protected me from any dating prospects too. So I, I kind of shed that. But as for uh, how to stay warm, I really, I, I've frozen my, my rear flank off a couple of times out doing live hits just because I always like to wear my button down shirt. And if I wear a jacket, it wrinkles that, but no, they, they give us a hat, they give us gloves, they give us all sorts of stuff. And I wear my Fox jacket around town. Like, you know, if, if I had a varsity jacket from high school, which I didn't, but yeah, a couple of my friends sees me like, you always wear that jacket. And I, I said to them, I've worked for this jacket since I was five years old. Like this is the blue jacket I always wanted. So I'm very happy to wear that. Somebody saw me at Costco the other day wearing it. They're like, you're Capucci. I was like, the pizza. Yeah. They're like, oh, figures you're buying a large pizza. I'm like, yeah. I'm still upset that they switched from Coke to Pepsi. Oh, Costco. Costco. Yeah. I still yeah, I, it a little bit. I do like the hot dog with some onions on it and some mustard and wash it down with a Coke. It's funny. I'm not a soda person at all, but I do have to prefer Coke because I'm a, I'm a Coke staller and they actually funded my storm chasing back in the day. So I don't know a ton about Pepsi, but I know that Coke has some pretty good people working there. So a Coke scholar. Yep. I've never heard of that. Yeah. It's a, a cool scholarship. They pick, I think they have about 106 to 110,000 applicants every year and they pick the top 150 to fly down to Atlanta awards and all that stuff. And they give you 20,000 for school. And the way it worked out for me was fortunate just because between financial aid and other stuff, I had tuition covered. So Coke actually said to me, yeah, you, you can use it for storm chasing if it's a four credit experience, which it, it was given my curriculum. And 
I was very grateful that they let me use it. And I learned so many things by being out in the field. Really, I'd say like 40, 50% or more of what I know comes from field work I've done and just being out there chasing the storms, getting my hands dirty with the data. I love that part. So what are some of the craziest weather events and phenomenon you have chased? Gosh, I've seen and done just about everything. I've flown through the Northern Lights I, or beneath the Northern Lights. I have chased meteors in the Atacama Desert with a buddy of mine who's, who's kind of like my de facto adventure buddy now. Eric? Go everywhere. Sorry? Eric? Uh, Alan. Alan. Alan, sorry. Does he talk? Uh, no. He always seems quiet. He's sitting there playing bingo or he's in a grocery store. He's like your, uh, your mute sidekick. <laughs> Pretty much. He, he's, uh, he's Robin. I'm, I'm Batman. He's very shy. And it's funny. Like he doesn't like the fact that I do any on-camera stuff. Like he, he's very mellow. And anytime I pull up my camera to record something, he hides. Anytime I'm doing a TV hit, you know, he, he'll scurry out. Like when I was in Chile, for example, we were both in Chile. He'll kind of scurry off camera and make sure he's nowhere to be found when I'm doing live TV. And that's just kind of the way it is. I, I did a, a Fox News hit while I was in the back of a tour van when we were in Chile. And I'm holding the camera out like this. And he's leaning as far as possible to make sure he's not in the camera shot. But I guess not everyone likes TV. But yeah, we'll, he, he goes anywhere. We're going to Norway in March. But uh, yeah, we let's see what else. We got to see four tornadoes this past year. I, I saw a fifth, sixth, and seventh while he wasn't there. I, I wound up being inside a tornado last year in 2020 where I was getting winds about 100 miles per hour, debris flying by the truck, and I was hunkering down in a ditch or, or next to a ditch uh, behind a, a retaining wall. But I've seen some pretty neat stuff. And really, I, I've, I, I love it. There's nothing better than shattering a windshield in softball size hail, watching those chunks of ice come down, shatter on impact, glass icy shards flying up and ricocheting around, leaving those metallic pings everywhere is just a, a mesmerizing, earth shattering and humbling experience. And your mom's okay with that? She doesn't have the option anymore. Up until I was like 18, 19, you know, if she was bankrolling a, a trip, which, you know, usually I, I pay for my own trips, then she kind of had final say. But nowadays I, I've invited her a million times and, and my parents are the most patient people in the entire world. I mean, hell, raising me was probably no easy task. It really does take a village and, and teachers, even the, the ladies in the front office of my elementary school, everybody played a huge role. But yeah, it definitely makes her nervous. I, I sent her the text messages before saying, you know, don't, don't worry. I, I was in a tornado a few moments ago, but don't worry. Or, hey, we, we might need a new windshield. Would you mind forwarding me insurance information? Oh. Or there, there was one time I had to send her a text when I was in China being like, Hey, I'm, I'm kind of being held against my will. I'm not really sure. Uh, I'll get out of this. Don't worry. Like just the stuff she's, she's had to put up with is kind of staggering, but she's a, a, an amazing woman. Very sweet lady. What about your bucket list of crazy events to see and experience? Has anything come to fruition and what's still on the list to complete? So I made my bucket list back when I was, I think in fourth or fifth grade and I completed so much on there. I, I, it's funny. I have both a career bucket list and sort of a personal bucket list. And, you know, the, the tornado, the water spout, the, the, the northern lights, the solar eclipse, all these things have come true. The softball sized hail, the thunder snow, all that's worked out. And it's funny, too, because like personal bucket list, I don't know if I was just prescient at the time or really life. I, I genuinely believe that life has a plan and life has a way of working itself out because everything I put down has worked out. I, I wrote that I wanted to, this is back in like fifth grade. I wrote that I wanted to go to Harvard, not even because like they didn't have meteorology. Back at the time, I just wanted to go, I wrote that on my bucket list just to prove that A, that I could get in, but B, like all my cousins still think I'm dumb as a bag of hammers. Like I, a lot of my extended relatives don't think I'm that bright. And especially they look at my job and they're like, oh, he, he's a TV weather guy. Like he's good at talking. And I think people forget that it's a science. And so you know, there's one side of the family that doesn't take me seriously. So back when I was in fifth grade, the logic was if I got into the school, maybe they take me seriously. Or I wanted to get to a, a top 10 TV market before I turned 24. And that's, that's unheard of. And it worked with like literally a month and a half left in the most circuitous of routes. Or I wanted to publish a book by the time I turned 25. And I'll make it by 11 days. I randomly got a, a phone call about a year and a half, two years ago, asking if I'd like to write a book. There's an agency here in Alexandria, and over the course of the past two years, we workshopped a title, workshopped a proposal, got a book deal. It's going to be distributed by Simon & Schuster, and that'll come out on August 2nd, and I turn 25 on August 13th. So it's worked so far. Next up on the bucket list is to have my own TV show or Netflix show by the time I turn 29, 
and I'd like to get married by 30. Right on. Yeah, I had aspirations for a Netflix program and taking this podcast to Netflix and each episode would already be kind of established. My connection at Netflix for new programming was like, yeah, that's not happening. Oh, so. Well, if I get my show, we'll have to do an episode together because it'd be a really cool episode between weather, fly fishing, and getting folks out in the field. I, that's that's what I'd love to do is is sort of take people to places they a otherwise wouldn't ordinarily go and, and do it vicariously the means of media, but to, to really show them science hands on. I stand in front of a TV studio and I point to weather maps, but if I can make it come alive for people the way that you are by sort of taking folks through this podcast, fly fishing, I think that's the best way to do it. Absolutely. So you've been doing this for 20 something years now. How has the world and the weather changed? And it seems like it's all getting changed for the worse. And I feel like in 10 years, my kid's going to be in college and I want to relocate somewhere, but I kind of don't know where I want to move because places I want are either droughts, fires, thunderstorms, saltwater encroaching into farmland. Uh, what are you seeing that's just making life more difficult for what is a smart organism the human but we're actually kind of really dumb because we've caused all of this it's one of those things where i I used to have kind of this meteorological rule book of mine that i would follow when forecasting there are certain things that that when you see the models doing you say either that's the way it's going to go down or that's too far-fetched throw that out the window in the past i used to have to throw things out the window nowadays it seems like when i throw a crazy bullish outlandish thing out the window more often than not, that's what ends up transpiring. Like that comes to fruition, it, it winds up actually happening. I see it all the time with hurricanes, for example. It seems like we're always overachieving, overattaining what we forecast. We see so much more rapid intensification now with tornadoes, even where I grew up on Cape Cod. During my lifespan between, you know, roughly birth and 18, 19, we had one tornado warning. Since I left a couple of years ago, we've had, I, I believe, 14 or 15 tornado warnings. We've had seven or eight different tornadoes over the course of three years because water temperatures up there are warming considerably. And suddenly all these thunderstorms in the fall, like September, October, and especially November, that in the past would have been a little bit too short to produce tornadoes are now tall enough, thanks to more added warm water, they grow a little bit taller, they tap into winds at the upper levels and they feel more spin and they produce tornadoes. And I mean, we're just seeing things that in the past would have been completely against the rule book. So more often than not, I just feel like I'm shaking my head looking at this going, what, what the hell is this? How am I, should I just go out and forecast a record? Should I forecast something unprecedented? And nowadays I feel like I have to do that pretty often. That's crazy. Yeah, there's, there's been changes here. I, I noticed the birds, like when I was a kid, robins were never here in the wintertime. And the climate is comfortable enough that they don't leave. It's them and the starlings are all over the place. And we probably just had our first ice over of the canal and parts of the river in six years here. Yeah, we're just so behind in, in sort of, even this year, we've had a cold January so far, the cold is about six years. And even still, that's not really like at the benchmark of what it used to be. And nowadays we're seeing punctuated bursts of spring-like weather in February and March. Winter storms are becoming less frequent, more intense, but less frequent. We're seeing less overall snowfall on average each winter. We're seeing considerably more 70, 80, 90, 100 degree days per year. It's one of those things where my mother came down last March to visit me from Boston and it was 82 degrees the day she got here. And she said, this is summer in Massachusetts. I said, yeah, welcome to spring in DC. It's just, everything is, is changing so quickly. And honestly, I, it's one of those things where it's a catch 22. I like certain elements of it because it makes my job a little bit more unpredictable. And it makes my job more exciting as a scientist. But at the same time, I think to myself, like, these things are, are not all good. The fact that we're experiencing these changes so abruptly portends a future filled with more catastrophic, cataclysmic events when these weather disasters approach the extreme, which is suddenly much more favorable in an era marked by human-induced climate change. And... I think humans are very reactive, not proactive at all. We built our infrastructure for the climate of yesterday. We built for the 100-year events of yesterday. The 100-year events of yesterday might be once every 10-year events nowadays. The, I live near the Braddock Road Metro, for example. The intersection that I live next to flooded three times last year with water rescues. 
that should have never happened to begin with. And they said, oh, you know, it's not meant to handle more than an inch to two inches per hour of rainfall. Well, we're getting those all the time with summer thunderstorms nowadays. For every degree Fahrenheit the air temperature warms, the air can hold about 4% more water. We're seeing many more rainfall extremes, downpour extremes, rain rate extremes. It's just all across the board. Extremes are, are suddenly becoming more common and, and less extreme. And until we smarten up and build better infrastructure, we're just going to keep seeing losses, both in the human toll and especially the financial toll. Do you think alligators might start inhabiting the Potomac if it starts getting warmer? Like they're going to swim up from Norfolk? Honestly, I, I don't know enough about that, but I wouldn't be surprised as we head towards the end of the century. I, I look at, you know, the, the climate of, by the end of the century, we could be talking about like the climate of the Carolinas, North Carolina suddenly being what New Hampshire experiences. So we are seeing dramatic latitudinal shifts in climate conditions and really biomes, flora, fauna, natural habitats and stuff like that. So yeah, we're, we're seeing a northward progression of a number of species and it would make sense if, you know, aquatic life or kind of followed suit. I just hope we don't have things like malaria and dengue up here. Yellow yeah, fever. As long as we don't get the tarantulas, I, I don't do spiders. I don't do anything with eight legs. Six legs, I'm good with. Hundred legs, centipedes, not a fan. Spiders, hell no. I'm cool yeah, with jumping spiders. We have a, a nice relationship, but Ooh. I grew up in Reston in the woods and we'd have these wolf spiders like the size of oatmeal cream pies and they're all hairy and I have a story. So the reason I, I don't actually go swimming in ponds anymore because of this. My aunt and uncle have a cabin up in Maine that they built back in 2012, a little bit uh, west of Augusta in a place called Fayette on Lovejoy Pond. And when I was up there, I think I had to be 13, 14 years old. About 13 of us in the family all went up there. And there's this old wooden dock. My uncle caught a fish. So we all run to the edge of the dock, run to the end of the dock. And this dock was built in the early 1900s. So when you have 13 people on it, it starts to submerge below water. Well, I've seen movie plots with that. Oh yeah, well on the underside of the dock lived fisher spiders, which you know, I'm sure. Walk on I, water. Oh yeah, they're big, they're hairy. They're like three, four inches across. They have these big hairy legs, creepy bodies. They swallow, they, they trap and swallow minnows. And suddenly dozens, if not hundreds of these things pour out of the cracks, start crawling on us. I have never screamed so loudly, moved so fast. I could have beat Usain Bolt in a race. I, I, you know, I, my voice went up three octaves and it looked like something from a Stephen King novel. That is the last time I ever entered a body of water in Maine, the Northeast, other than the ocean. Like I'll do the ocean, not a fan of it, but I'll do the ocean, but no, I don't do spiders. And that's one of like four traumatic stories I have with spiders. The other ones I can't tell. I was chased by a Ambulopigidae, it's a tailless whip scorpion in the Amazon. Those are the things that people were eating on the first episode of Fear Factor. They're crawling oh, on them. But I, this thing started running after me and I slammed the door and it went under the door and then popped up and then kept running. And I think I got it with about a four foot long machete and then stomped on it. But I was screaming. People were in their cabins that night and around camp could hear me. I was just going out to collect bugs and stuff at night with the headlamp. And this thing was in a, a bean built little lean to shack on the property. And I went in there and the eyes lit up like little rubies with my headlamp. And then it just oh, came at gosh. me and I, I ran. And, and this was in the dark. So like everything's scarier in the dark when we're talking creepy crawlers because you can't yeah. see as much. But I, I could ask them, what were you doing in the Amazon? And good on you for having a four foot machete lying around. Fox doesn't let me bring my machete to work in case there are spiders. But I do, where is it? If there's a spider in my apartment here at home, like I try to keep it pretty clean. But if there's a spider anywhere, especially in the ceiling, I take a paper towel tube or a graduated cylinder. I put a tapered rain gauge in it, fill it with about four inches of water and hold it up to the ceiling. So now I have like this two foot long tube of plastic and a spider falls into it and then I can dump it out the window. So I've seen people video those on like in Australia and then the spider just like jumps on them. Oh yeah, I, I haven't been to Australia yet. I have a, a buddy of mine who lives there, his name's Jack and he keeps inviting me down and every so often he sends me pictures of spiders that he finds and I'm like, mm, I, I don't know if I can do it. Yeah. So what's your uh, Wawa order these days? Ah, it's, it's funny. Like, right. I, I have marks on the floor. I, I'll, I tilt the camera, but my floor is messy. but I have marks on the floor to show me what's on camera. What's not when I do these little setups and just out of view, like right here, my Wawa order from earlier today, I literally just went there before this is on the counter. I do the, the uh, beyond meat, uh, whatchamacallit. 
burrito. It's really good. I'll sometimes do like a chicken bacon fajita. Their soup is good. Their BLTs are good. Everything at Wawa is good. Doesn't quite compare to Waffle House, that ambiance, but Wawa's damn good. I, I love it there. I've only done Waffle House once. Really? Yeah, it was out near Mass and Nutton years ago. Oh, Waffle House is like, it's like, honestly, I jokingly call it my church. I love Waffle House. Waffle House is the way that church should be. Waffle House is open 24-7. They're inexpensive. Everybody can afford to go to Waffle House. Waffle House never judges who I bring. You can bring anyone to Waffle House any time of day. You go in there, the people... Well, they, they come from all walks of life. Some may have just gotten out of prison. Others might be billionaires. And yet both people are sitting next to each other at the table at Waffle House. No one judges each other. I bought the same thing at Waffle. I, I always had the same go-to order, same restaurant. I've never paid the same thing twice. Every time it's like they spin a magical wheel and that's what the, the payment lands on. I've had, you know, I've laughed at Waffle House. I've cried at Waffle House. Waffle House is literally, I, I love it there. The food is so good. Grilled cheese, bacon sandwich, double, triple hash browns. You're not the guy that was living in the ceiling that fell through and landed on the people. You heard about me. (laughs) It's my summer home. I I used to live there before I moved to this apartment. Yeah, I don't know how that guy was up there. I had another Waffle House question. So you probably will get married there. I do. They they do Valentine's Day. I'm looking to go in there for for Valentine's Day this year. Take your lady from the expo. I should. Do you ever do savory waffles? Like a jalapeno cheddar. I, I don't. I, I've heard of that. I heard it's decent, but I believe it or not, I don't really do the Waffle House for waffles. Occasionally I have a blueberry waffle, but I love that grilled cheese and bacon sandwich because it brings back memories from my childhood. I actually, <laughs> through a long story, I'll spare you the details of, I actually gave a eulogy for a chef once at a local diner back when I was 14, 15 years old, who introduced me to grilled cheese sandwiches when I was four. And I, I gave the eulogy on the amazing friendship that can stem from a grilled cheese sandwich. So grilled cheeses have a special place in my heart. What about the weather forecasting and closing of Waffle Houses? Are there meteorologists that don't follow the sort of south, southeast and have no idea that Waffle Houses will close in a hurricane and that's judged by how bad the storm's going to be? Yeah, so Waffle House is kind of like that last safe haven where they'll stay when everybody else goes. Tornado watch, Waffle House is open. Flash flood watch, Waffle House is open. Ice storm, Waffle House is going to be there. They might have a limited menu, but Waffle House is always there. When the Waffle House closes, you better get the hell out. And I've been to place, I've been there on a Category 2 storm. Waffle House was open. I've been there for a Category 4 storm. Waffle House wasn't open. And that was the one time I kind of got freaked out when I was chasing storms. I was like, you know, the, the Waffle House has gone dark. This is kind of creepy, but it's true. Like you said, FEMA will actually pay close attention to Waffle House, which ones are open, which ones are shuttered and how the supply chain is doing at Waffle House, because they're good indicators of the overall health of a region. And when Waffle House goes, you better go to. You mentioned ice storm. So for fly fishermen, we only have one real movie. It's a river runs through it. There was salmon fishing in the Yemen, which didn't work. There's catch and release. Of the weather-related movies, you got like Twister, Day After Tomorrow, San Andreas, Groundhog Day, The Fog. What are movies that meteorologists all like to talk about? Or that is the defining movie of your employment? We all love Twister, I think, because Twister was the first movie that portrayed meteorologists as cool, to be honest. We're used to being like the nerdy ones in movies. And admittedly, I'm extremely nerdy. I go on air all the time and I'll talk about correlation coefficient, quasi-geostrophy. I'll talk about conditional symmetric instability. Like I'll yammer about silly, nerdy, geeky things. It helps that I got LASIK. I used to have glasses. I used to have braces. So I really looked the part of a nerd. But I think Twister was the first movie that made meteorologists look cool, adventurous, and fun. So all meteorologists have a special place in, in our hearts for it. We have Facebook groups. And whenever one of us sees that, meteor- that uh, Twister's on TV, We'll post it in the group and everyone will be like, oh, we all got to tune in. So we have like literally Twister watch parties. But I, I love Twister, Twister too. I think meteorologists also appreciate it because a lot of meteorologists are, are bachelors because we're, you know, nerdy folks. And they appreciated the fact that the protagonist, I, I, Bill Paxson, found his Helen Hunt. And I think a lot of meteorologists are looking for their Helen Hunt. Absolutely. What are some weather myths and falsehoods that people still believe in what about that pregnant women will give birth during hurricanes because the low pressure pushes on the fluid and pushes the babies out 
Are there? I believe that one may actually have a little bit of truth to it. I, I don't know all the. I'd have to go back and see if I can find some data or peer review data. But from what I, I've heard, and from a, a, a pure scientific standpoint, I do think there has to be some truth to that. Just because, and again, I know nothing about female anatomy. I assume like the. Don't tell that lady from the expo. Huh, true. I, I assume I, I know the important parts, the, the parts that get me through there. But anyway, I, I assume that the inside of a, a woman is, is airtight. And so common sense would dictate that when a hurricane moves overhead, if you're removing, say, 5-10% of atmospheric pressure, it'll be 5-10% uh, easier to expel a, a child or, or a baby. And so you, you do see a slight uptick in births during major hurricanes, from what I understand. Plus, it might just be the stress of a hurricane that can induce labor. I mean, but let's be honest, hurricanes are not cakewalks. And if you're in the eye of a hurricane where air pressure is that much lower, you're going to be kind of facing some other issues simultaneously. So I'm not sure if it's causation or correlation. As for other weather myths, people think lightning can't strike the same place twice. That's BS. Empire State Building has been struck 15 times in 15 minutes before. Roy Sullivan, a park ranger who died, I think, like 20, 30 years ago, was struck seven times during his career. He was in which- the Guinness the old black and white Guinness Book of World Records. I remember which that. May one. have been the inspiration for the guy in the great outdoors who'd been hit six, 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 66 times. Damn. Uh, uh, you would think, you know, after the sixth, seventh time, you, you'd kind of just avoid lightning at all costs. Either that or you get the opposite. Like, ah, it's not, it didn't get me last time. It's not going to get me this time. Other myths. A lot of people think that tornadoes can't happen in the wintertime. Tornadoes can happen anytime, anywhere. You may have seen I chased the Annapolis tornado. I was there before it touched down back in September 1st. You, uh, a lot of people think they need to open windows to equalize air pressure during tornadoes to mitigate damage. That's not a thing. People just got to shelter right away. Other myths. Hmm. Quadruple rainbows are a real thing. We can't really see them unless we have good photographic equipment. But once in a great while, triple rainbows, quadruple rainbows are a real thing. What else is a weather myth? Hmm. I got to think of more myths. Yeah, it, it can rain fish. Once in a while, water spouts can suck up fish and you have them rain from the sky. Back in 2015, a tornado in Pampa, Texas sucked up a bunch of corn stalks and corn pieces and fragments. And those went high enough into the storm cloud to become hail and to nucleate hailstones. And eventually you had frozen corn fall from the sky. Also felt, uh, also happened back in June of 1953 in Worcester, Massachusetts, when an F5 tornado hit, killed 94 people. And then about an hour and a half later in Situate, Massachusetts, you had pieces of frozen mattress falling from the sky and French music boxes. So my neighbor, you may have met her at your set. She's the cake diva. I don't know if you know the cake diva. So she lives down the street and she sent me one of her ring videos and it's just her yard and there's cars driving by and then this thing just lands and splats and it turned out to be a bluegill. A what? A bluegill, little fish. Really? So we don't know. There was an actual microburstish tornado down by tj high school but that's like eight miles away so either a, it got sucked up and thrown or a bird dropped it but when was this did you send me the video yeah i'll definitely if, get if that you send me the date too I, i'd love to look into that because i i love weather mysteries like this it's just quiet and then you just hear splat and this bird just lands in her driveway there's all sorts of wildlife in that yard their kids left the minivan door open once and a raccoon went in and just like cleaned out everything. And they got that on the ring video too. She sounds like wild kingdom. Yeah. I hope she makes a YouTube compilation because that'd be pretty good. I'd love to see the raccoon in the minivan. Oh man. She's got, it makes me want to get a ring camera just to see what's going on. And I have no idea. We have a lot of foxes in the neighborhood. That's one thing you see a lot of. We had growing up foxes too. We, we lived in uh, right near Cape Cod in, in rural Southeastern Massachusetts, but we had, around the time I was like 15, 16, 17 in high school, we started hearing this god-awful scream in the middle of the night around midnight, 1 a.m. on recurring nights. And it sounded like, honestly, a baby being like beaten. And it was very jarring, very unsettling. And we finally got a ring cam. And it turns out it was a fisher cat, which I didn't know lived in that part of Massachusetts. But these things were creepy. They, they climbed trees. We were concerned because we have a 15-pound dog, Noodles. And this thing would get right up onto the front porch and just be oh. howling, screaming in the middle of the night. And that was creepy. And, and I'd seen it from only a couple feet away. It, and oh, one night before a history midterm exam in high school, 
uh, I'm trying to sleep and, and my neighbor had chickens. Well, apparently the fisher cat got inside a chicken coop and one by one was killing all the chickens. And I always left my window open and the chicken coop was right outside my window. And gosh, th that noise was horrible. And then finally, like all the chickens were dead or so I presume. And so like, I, you know, and meanwhile, I'm, I'm a big softy, like I'm tearing up a little bit because you just hear these chickens dying. Finally go back to sleep around three, four in the morning. And then every 20 minutes, I'd just be woken up by one final spasmodic wail from one of these dying chicken. And I still did fine in the history of midterm, but God, that was a horrible way to sleep the night before a test. See, for most of the listeners, they'd say that's free fly time material. Go collect all those chicken feathers. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. I like to identify wildflowers. I don't know with Google, Google Lens. Is there something where I can just click a, a cloud and it's going to tell me what type it is? We had a cloud variety poster in earth science in ninth grade. And I, I kind of want the modern version of that. I think I'm kind of the modern version of that. I, it, I wish there was an app that could do something like that because that'd be so cool. But uh, unfortunately, there's not. I think machine learning could probably do it. It's just tricky because clouds coming out like wildflowers, basically the same structure. Clouds come in all shapes and sizes. One thunderstorm might look completely different based on different vantage points. So unfortunately, there isn't. But anytime you or your, your viewers, listeners have questions, just feel free to tweet me. I love when people send me cloud pictures. Like people are afraid it's going to bother me. It's going to take my time. I love it. I When people send me clouds, it, it just makes me smile every time. I've seen some cool Mamatus clouds before. I yeah. miss going down to the tropics where you actually see like the anvil where it stops the next atmospheric layer. Yes. Yep. That's the, the ceiling of the lower atmosphere. We call it the tropopause. And basically you have all this upward moving air within the updraft of a thunderstorm. And it will continue rising so long as it's less dense, i.e. warmer than its surroundings. But when you get to the tropopause, that's the top layer or the top of the lowest layer of the atmosphere, the troposphere. When you get above that, air temperature, ambient air temperature starts warming with height in the stratosphere. And so the atmosphere is suddenly warmer than the clouds. The cloud can't rise anymore. So it just kind of goes and folds in on itself and flattens out at the tropopause. That's awesome. All right. I know we're running out of time. What are some things that we're going to have to start paying more attention to in the future? And I think your jobs can be even more important because one day we're going to have to check how much UV lights outside before we crisp up and yeah. all sorts of craziness. So what do you guys, when y'all get together at, at Wawa, maybe what do the meteorologists start thinking that life's going to be like in a couple of years? So there are a couple of things I'd say, I think number one, you go back 20, 30 years, and there was one source for weather, your local weather person. You turn, you turn on the news in the evening, get the forecast, and that'd be that, or the morning. Nowadays, everybody and their mother is posting weather online. People who have no background whatsoever in meteorology can access data, raw weather models from you know, the National Weather Service, or really from anywhere, but they don't have the skills to interpret it or to understand what it's meaning or to really be able to draw any scientific intuition or forecast. And so I think the biggest thing people need to be aware of is that they need to be smart shoppers, savvy shoppers. You wouldn't buy a, a car sight unseen from a random dude named Bubba who you meet underneath a bridge at three in the morning. So you shouldn't take a weather forecast from a random guy named Bubba who probably tweets out raw model output from under a bridge at three in the morning with no background in meteorology. Same thing here. You buy a car from a reputable salesperson. Get your weather from a, a reputable source, the weather service, us as meteorologists, someone who, who knows what they're doing. And there are good amateurs out there, but a lot of folks just don't understand how to quantify risk, to interpret probabilistic forecasts, or really to make sense of what the atmosphere is doing. We have that training, so that's important. The other thing too, as we head towards the future, precipitation extremes will become much more common. That will play a role in infrastructure, in planning, and travel especially. We saw just a couple of weeks ago, thousand cars stranded on I-95. Yeah. It's 2022, that should not be happening. This storm, we forecast in advance a period of moderate to heavy snow with snowfall rates between one and three inches per hour. Granted, we didn't forecast it a week out, we forecast it like 24 hours out, but that's still ample time that if people are paying attention, they know, don't get in the roadway, you're gonna have two, three inches per hour snowfall rates. So I think it's just about people finding a source, finding a good source, trusting it and listening to it and being able to adapt their plans. In 2022, we live in the era of entitlement where people feel they're entitled to go about their plans unmitigated. We've seen that with the pandemic. We've seen that 
in all walks of life. So I think people just need to understand that they are vulnerable just because they haven't encountered something before. It doesn't mean they won't encounter it. And we as meteorologists are here to help. We have the information. I like also how you'll go back and analyze the storm, what went wrong with the predictions. You have accountability, which a lot of people don't have. That, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. That's one thing that I, you know, the Capital Weather Gang does. I think my colleagues at Fox 5 do it internally, but I really, you don't see that a lot with meteorologists, and that frustrates the hell out of me. So many folks, especially TV folks, have an ego, and I can think of, heck, probably four or five people in this market in the D.C. area who have that ego, and, and across the board, I think people, especially meteorologists, need to understand that we're scientists. We do screw up. Like, we're doing an imperfect thing. We're trying to predict the future of air, water, and heat. And obviously, we're not perfect at it. We, we do our best. But so many people try to kind of go down with the ship rather than owning what went wrong. If there's something that I screw up on, yeah, I can learn about it. I can figure out what went wrong. For the general public, it can be a teachable moment for all of us. And I really like that. D.C. is filled with such smart people and, and the surrounding areas, too. I'd say arguably some of the smartest people in the country and the most scientifically apt and adept. And people have such a thirst for knowledge. And I love being able to share that with people. If that happens when I get something wrong and we can all learn from it, that's a net plus in my book. Absolutely. So what do you have in store for 2022? You got an eclipse coming up next year on the Great Lakes? Uh, 2024, that's Monday, April 8th, 2024. This year I'm going to Toronto. I'm actually going on a cruise next month. I'm pumped for that. It's going to be my first non-weather vacation in a while. Even going to... Chile with Alan back in, in December, I had to work the entire time or much of the time because of that Kentucky tornado. So I'm hoping there are no cataclysmic events going up to February because I'll be in a boat in the Caribbean. Uh, in March, I'm going to Tromsø, Norway to see the Northern Lights again. In April, May, I'll be storm chasing. And then unsure what, what comes after that, but it should be a pretty exciting year. You don't hear too much about the Aurora is Australis, the Southern Lights? Uh, yep. Yeah. No one ever talks about those. It's just harder. I think you're right. Land. It's yeah. It's just the fact that there's not much land other than Antarctica. I don't think anyone really, other than maybe the, uh, Tasmania. I think Tasmania might be far enough south to see them periodically, but you very rarely see them in extreme south, southern South America. Very rarely in Australia. So just because so few people live in Antarctica, you well, no one does other than researchers. You just don't really get to hear much from them or even see pictures of them. Whereas when we get a good episode up here, like I've seen them once from Cape Cod and in Alaska, I witnessed them and it was stunning. So I, I can't wait to go back up north again. Very cool. Uh, what's one piece of travel item you can't go without? Something that always has to get packed. If you forget it, you're screwed. Uh, I guess, where's my wallet? Vernon in Stand By Me brought his comb. I, I always bring table salt in my wallet, which is an embarrassing fact but I cannot go without table salt in a minute. Like I'll, I'll eat a lot of things. I'll do a lot of things. I'll go off the beaten path. I've slept in, in soccer goals before. I slept in the middle of the desert, just wide open. I've slept in vans before. I've slept on buses before. I've slept in some weird places. I, but when it comes to food, I need my table salt. And so I always carry a couple of packets. Little Wawa packet? Yep. I, I have some actually from Wawa in my backpack right now. I use the sugar packets for baking when I make pizza dough. I just, oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they're really good. Them. Like you can get some good travel stuff. I have like 30 pounds of hotel soap and shampoo just because I travel so much that yeah. I'm not going to throw it away. I bring it back. I haven't bought shampoo or soap in, in honestly years because I get so much of it from when I travel. When you're in Norway, we've got some really nice finishing salt from Norway. Really? You, you, we got it at Marshall's. You don't have to bring it back with you. But there's good fishing there if you end up wetting the line. Yeah, I, I want to try that. I really want to see a narwhal. I'm not sure if they have any up there. Might be farther north, but I, I do want to do like a whale watch and, and perhaps go fishing while I'm up there. Yeah, well, I will definitely take you out sometime this year. I think the uh, spring shad run at Chain yeah. Bridge would be crazy and lightning, and there's not a whole lot of spiders. Caddisflies and stoneflies are the worst. Flies I can do. If there are spiders, count me out. But if you can take care of the spiders, I'll take care of the weather and we'll have a good time. I'll bring machetes. All right, Matthew, where can we find you and all of your online places? Uh, gosh, I'm pretty much uh, everywhere. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Matthew Capucci. Uh, Capucci spelled like cappuccino without the no. You can order my book. It's called Looking Up. It's on Amazon. It will be out in August, distributed by Simon & Schuster. 
You can follow me at Fox 5 on air. You can tune into the Washington Post Capital Weather Gang, download the My Radar app, and probably by the time that this goes to air, I'll, I'll be on, what, two, three more platforms. They just keep popping up. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time and your busy day. And I'll probably see you online in the next five or six minutes when I have a grilled cheese sandwich. Indeed. Hey, well, thanks again so much. It was a blast. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.